0: Well, good morning. It is a joy for me to join you guys here. Um, the branch has come to, to be a little bit of a second home for me, um, partly because of Teresa being here and the dear friendship I have with her. But it's, you guys are just great people, and I love being here. So I'm honored to be with you this morning. Um, one thing that Teresa and I got to do together over the last couple of weeks was to go to Israel. And in doing that, we visited the town of Nazareth. And in today's town of Nazareth, there is a small village in the center of town where people have preserved a piece of, of the town as it was when Jesus was, was alive. And so today I'm hoping to, if this will work, guide us through, yes! Guide us through the town of Nazareth together. Um, I'm not going to prompt everything here, but as I speak, I'm hoping that it can help us get a feel for being in the town with Jesus um, as he returned home. So the town of Nazareth uh, is a rocky, it's built into a rocky hillside. It's about a 20-mile walk for Jesus from Capernaum, where he would have been coming from just a day's walk, you know, no big deal, walking south to, to home. Um, it's a small town. It's a one-well town, which, which is significant in that it means the whole town would have gathered at this one well and would have gotten to know each other there. And there's not much to distinguish Nazareth from really any other village around. Nazareth is a quiet and communal village. Here, everyone knows each other and joins in life together. Everyone has their roles to play that keeps the village going. It's a Jewish town, and Jewish towns generally have a high value on education. Here, the boys, and I don't always love to do this, but we're gonna focus on the boys because Jesus was a boy. Um, The boys attended school usually in the synagogue, uh, where they learned to read the Torah. And they, uh, they would gather together every morning until they were about 12 years old. Um, a few of the boys in other villages may have gone on to higher education, so to say, and studied under a sage, but that didn't happen much in the town of Nazareth, and it certainly didn't happen for Jesus. In Nazareth, the kids were taught enough to follow the Torah, and to learn the way of their family traditions. So once the boys turned about 13, they joined in the community as men. They would join their fathers in the trade that had been passed down to them for generations. In Nazareth, there were a lot of different trades. There were farmers, people harvesting olives and grapes, and food for the community to eat. There was a wine press and an olive press. And those were spaces where where the community would have gathered during harvest season to to work together um, and support each other. There were also builders, like Joseph and Jesus, and there were people making clothes and shepherds in the valleys, and, and the community just worked. It worked together. As Kids grew up then. They were expected to get married and to join in the rhythms of life here. And together, life would go on as they did life together. So when someone leaves a community like this, it's a pretty big deal. And when Jesus left, it was definitely a big deal. The rhythms of the community were thrown off. A space was missing And Jesus had learned everything that he would have needed to know here. So there was really no reason for him to need to leave. Oops, I forgot that one. (laughs) So Joseph had spent years teaching Jesus everything he needed to know. And Jesus seemed to be throwing that knowledge away. He certainly hadn't been trained to do anything else. But now, with Jesus on his way home, the rumors were flying. You know, word travels when there's miracles occurring. How could Jesus, who had grown up in this small village, well, how could he have any right to perform miracles? How could Jesus, who had not received any formal higher education, have any right to teach God's word with such authority. When Jesus arrives at home, he's not alone. Jesus comes home with a group of friends. I I don't think that the community would have viewed them as such. He comes home with a tax collector and a few fishermen and... Politician, a thief, a group of women. And to the outsider's perspective, this had to just be a motley crew of misfits. They certainly were confused. But beyond that, the townspeople had to wonder why in the world Jesus was even coming. Did Jesus expect that they would just take him back in? That, that there was space for him in this community again? They had likely already filled his roles, or was Jesus presumptuous enough to think that that they needed to be healed from something? Was it, it was certain that that the people were skeptical? We can say that. So Jesus returns, and he comes to the synagogue. And for Jesus, I can imagine that this was home. For Jesus, this space is where he had sat learning the Torah for all of his childhood. And I wonder how often he had maybe escaped to this space just to spend time with God. So we're not told at all what Jesus says to the people while he's here, or what he's even thinking, but we're told a lot about the way the people respond to him. One thing I think we can be pretty sure of is that when Jesus came to speak in the synagogue, the whole town crammed in. They wanted to know what the big deal was. They wanted to know what all the people were talking about. And when Jesus spoke, they certainly reacted. There was something different about what he was saying and the way he was saying it. Something curious, but something that didn't quite sit well with them. So they started rumors of their own. They started to wonder who this guy was. What had happened to him when he moved up north? Why does he think he can speak to us this way? They had known Jesus since birth. They sat next to each other in grade school and learned the same stories together. Their siblings lived next to his. They were confident that there was nothing special about this guy. So they were astonished at his teachings. Dumbfounded, confused, shocked, dismayed. They took offense at it. At the things that he had to say and at him as a person. And they were outraged. They slung insult at him, calling him the son of Mary, which today is very similar to another son of a term that we might hear. And they question his authority. They throw as much shame and humiliation. Disgrace and dishonor as they can at him. And they run Jesus and his friends right out of town. Because of their lack of faith, Jesus could not or would not perform miracles in their midst. Jesus came to teach and to preach the good news that is the kingdom of God, and yet, the people would not receive it. The people of Nazareth experienced Jesus as they always had. They had heard the stories about what he had done for other people, but they could not expand their view of him enough to receive him fully as he came back. Instead, they saw an old friend, a classmate, A scruffy builder standing in front of them. But they could not see Jesus as their Savior and Lord. So it's easy for us to sit here and to point fingers at the people of Nazareth. It's easy for us to to recognize their dishonor of Jesus and their refusal to accept him. But in so many ways, we are also those people. We are a people who have known Jesus our whole lives. Maybe not all of us, but the church as a whole has known Jesus for a very long time. And we don't always do a great job of accepting him. From Christmas to Easter, year after year, we get to watch Jesus grow up. We know his mother and his father, his friends and his family. We know the stories of his birth and the miracles that he performed. We have pictures of him hanging maybe in our homes or our church or figures of him in our nativity sets. We are very familiar with Jesus. And in ways very similar to the people of Nazareth, there are times when we reject Jesus too. We reject Jesus, and we reject what Jesus has to say to us. Not always blatantly, but certainly sometimes. So what does rejecting Jesus look like today? Well, it might look like taking credit for something ourselves instead of giving God the glory. It might look like reading the Bible, but skipping over the sections we don't want to hear. We reject Jesus when we don't believe the things that God says about us, that we are loved and accepted. (coughs) We reject Jesus when we don't believe that we are enough to do God's work. We reject God when we glory in ourselves rather than glorying in God alone. We reject God when we go our own way rather than following God's plan for our lives. And we reject God when we read the Bible and don't take to heart the parts that tell us to love our neighbors, to care for the marginalized, and how we should spend our money. It's hard. That is big stuff. Receiving Jesus opens us up to a vulnerability and a humility. Accepting Jesus means that we might need to admit some hard things to ourselves. I can't help but wonder at the ways that I reject and accept Jesus every day.
1: At the ways that
0: we reject and accept Jesus. When Jesus comes to us, do we see him in an old, familiar way? Or do we see Jesus as who he wants to be in our lives? When we read the Bible or see God at work around us, are our hearts open to receiving all that God has to offer for us? When God comes, when Jesus comes to us with a desire to speak into our lives, how do we receive him? I wish I could say that I'm open, open to hearing God's voice in my life every time he speaks. But sadly, I know that's not the case. Some days I rush through my devotions because there's someplace else I'd rather be. Often I have my own desires and I don't want to submit to God's in my life. Some days I don't even want to let Jesus in because I think I know what he has to say to me and I don't really want to hear it. And I don't think I'm alone. Certainly, I have company with the people in Nazareth. When we reject Jesus in these ways, we are unable to accept the fullness of God. We limit God's capacity in our lives. But let me be clear, we actually don't have the power at all to limit God. It's just somehow that our lack of faith, like the people of Nazareth, keeps God from full participation in our lives. When we as the church act like the people of Nazareth, we forget that God is all-powerful. We don't always trust God to guide us, and we don't admit that we need Jesus to help us see clearly and to understand fully. That's a lot. But brothers and sisters, we don't need to stay here. This particular text, it doesn't tell us much more about the people of Nazareth, but we can get some pretty big insights from Jesus and the way that he responds. So acknowledging that a prophet is not welcome in his hometown, Jesus wonders over the people's lack of faith, but then what? Well, he simply moves on. That's it. It's it's really just that simple. Jesus moves on into the surrounding villages, and he continues his ministry. Jesus doesn't brag or boast about the things that he could have done in Nazareth. And he doesn't sulk over the things that the people have said to him and about him. Nothing that the people of Nazareth could say or do can limit Jesus' ministry and mission into the world. And nothing that we can say or do will limit Jesus either. We don't have that kind of power. Jesus simply walks on, confident in the mission that God has placed in his life. It's it's really just that simple. And Jesus' actions hold so much grace for us today. According to Mark, Jesus seemingly packs up and leaves. He doesn't let the people's rejection hold him back. And by going out into the world, Jesus takes the opportunity then to show the people around him just who God is. And it is in these surrounding villages where Jesus takes the opportunity to send his disciples out into the world as well. So in spite of the rejection, maybe even because of the people's rejection, Jesus' mission expands into the world. See, Jesus' message was bigger than his hometown could handle. And Jesus' message is bigger than our hometown can handle, too. Even a hometown as holy as Grand Rapids. God's message is meant for the whole world. What a grace. What a wonderful thing for us to hold. Jesus keeps going. And since Jesus keeps going, we get a chance to experience God more fully here today as we watch Jesus' ministry unfold, as we experience Jesus going out into these surrounding villages and empowering the people that he meets, as we learn of his betrayal and we read about his suffering, as we do all of these things, we experience Jesus more fully. And through the power of the Holy Spirit... We get to experience God more fully every time that we open our hearts to receive Jesus. But, friends, that's not even all. Hear these good words from the prophet Isaiah. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. But but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Friends, Jesus is despised and rejected all the way to the cross, There was always someone whispering about him behind his back, always someone plotting to kill him. But at the cross, Jesus took on our shame, our punishment, our sin. Even while we still rejected him. At the cross, Jesus accepts us even when we could not see him fully or understand him clearly. So it is through Jesus' work on the cross that we can accept and experience God most fully. God comes to us, and God dwells in us, and God works through us. And in this, we can receive God in new and beautiful ways when we know God as fully as we are able, we are sure to get caught up in his mission to the world. And it is here that we see a beautiful cycle of grace begin. The more we know God, the more we will want to join in his mission to the world. And the more we join God in God's mission, the more we will come to know God most fully. God gives us grace to know and to experience God more fully. So, friends, our only response then is to know and to respond with love in deeper ways to God, and then to share that love with the world. Praise be. Let's pray. Lord God, we acknowledge that we do not always accept you for who you are. We have rejected what you have said to us and we don't always want to see you. Forgive us, Lord. And thank you for the work that you have done to reveal yourself more fully to us. Give us eyes to see you in all your glory. As we do, Lord, we expect that you will light a fire in our hearts for you. Let that fire push us into your mission, that we might bring your glory into the world around us. Praise be to you and you alone. Amen.